Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the 20th Sunday after Pentecost, and we hear from the Reverend Phil Brichard as he preaches from the lectionary, which this week was Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. As always, you can find more sermons by All Soulsians or information about All Souls on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. waiting for a poll to come out that says that 50% of Americans are disgusted with the other half of the country, and that once those other people change their ways, they will start speaking to them once again. And I'm guessing that the results of this uh, mythical but all too possible poll would say that the other half feels exactly the same way. And I'm expecting a poll like this because it does not take a political scientist to see the yawning chasm in our country and the ways that we have um, chosen to separate ourselves from each other, along with the, the utter disdain that courses through our body politic in this moment. And so because of this, I believe that collectively and individually, we would do well to sit with the Pharisee, the religious scholar from today's reading. Not to condemn him so much as to understand him. Because if you haven't prayed that prayer at some point in the last few years, and I'm wondering if you've actually read the news or watched any political debate. My inkling is that you know this prayer, the prayer that goes, thank you, God, that I am not that person. Because I'm feeling pretty darn righteous about how I live, the choices that I've made, and what I believe. And if I've made some bad choices in my life, at least they were not as bad as that person's. Why do we compare ourselves with others to feel better about ourselves? Uh, can you remember a time recently when that particular sentiment came to mind or to heart? Where were you when that happened? Who are the kinds of people that elicit that for you? What have they done or not done? Now, uh, you don't have to share that name aloud. There will be time for confession in a few minutes. But I do think it's important for us to sit with it for a bit. Because before we jump to what's wrong with the religious scholar, I'd like for us to consider what's at work in him that he would pray this prayer as he's coming to temple. What cavernous pit lies within that he feels that he has to attack other people 
to try and climb out of it. I think that he's attempting to say uh, what we are often tempted to say. That you, whoever you are, are other than I am. We are not the same. And if you're down there, then I must be up here. It's a very human act to try and elevate oneself by pushing another down. It's my sense that one of the messages of this parable is that no one is good enough to reject another person. That is not the path that will cure our souls. And so I wonder if it's not a coincidence that our text tells us that when this religious scholar prays this prayer, the text tells us that he is standing by himself. I don't think this is an accident, but instead a stance that this religious scholar is taking. Because it's a lot easier to look down on others when you're standing off by yourself, outside of relationship, unwilling or unable to understand the other. My friend Marie was the first of our friend group to make some real money out of college. And she began attending a new church as an adult. It wasn't the one she grew up in, which also felt like a big deal. And after a bit of time, it uh, was the fall, and it was the annual pledge campaign. So Marie looked at what her income was and then planned out what she considered to be an appropriate and maybe even a generous gift for that next year. And a few months later, the stewardship team published the results of the campaign, and they uh, shared with the congregation the average gift and the gifts at various amounts. My friend was shocked because she saw that her gift was more than the average pledge of the congregation. Her shock turned to disgust as she considered that the church she was attending was in an affluent area. And she knew that many of the households in that church were earning more than she was. So what was her response? Well, the next time the stewardship team led their annual campaign, Marie lowered her annual pledge. <laughs> if people who are making more money than I am aren't going to be generous, why should I be? Now, I understand where she was coming from. Looking in from the outside, clearly seeing that someone else could do more, that they could shoulder more of the load for the common good, why should I give more than others? Sometimes people ask me what they should give to all souls. And I find myself in a quandary because at the root of it, they're looking for me as an external authority to pass judgment. 
to give them the answer, which I won't do. And it's not because I haven't given this a lot of thought and consideration, or because I don't care about it, or because I'm unaware of the needs of this congregation. It's more because the practice of giving money away is such an essential practice that each of us have to engage as participants in this mixed economy. What we do with what we have is critical. How do you and I make that decision of what we will give? Are we giving because uh, we'll get a leg up on the ladder of being righteous? Are we giving because we're trying to take part in God's acts of mercy in this world? The more that I've lived and that I've grasped and that I've given, the more I've come to realize and to trust that the giving of ourselves and of our resources in this life, what we understand at All Souls, to be the spiritual discipline of generosity, that this has very little to do with the people around us and has everything to do with our own response to the movement of God within us. At the, at the end of the day, getting right with God is not looking to see uh, if we are keeping our lives as holy as the Joneses or justifying ourselves by exceeding their holiness. I want to be clear. I know where this desire comes from. And that game of comparison, um, sometimes it feels good. And I also know it's why our political discourse is the way it is and that ultimately... This stance is a kind of a lie, even if part of what we are saying has some truth. This gospel is telling us that the other person, no matter how they live, the other person is not the point. Because what this does uh, to you and to me when we use another person to make ourselves feel better, feel just a bit higher, is actually poisonous. And the cost to our souls is significant. So what's the antidote? If the prayer of the religious scholar is so common, maybe more common now in this nation than ever, what is the antidote to this poison? The antidote, friends, is the opening our, of our hearts to the mercy of God for all that we have done, for all that we have left undone. The number of dollars or hours or prayers is not what justifies us. It's the stance of our heart that Jesus cares about. And this is what the tax collector shows us. For all of his faults and missteps and inconsistencies, which are myriad, 
What commends the tax collector to our attention is his willingness, his courage, his humility to ask for mercy. Trusting that this will change him. In the end, this is what will cure our souls, what brings us closer, what saves the world. Mercy. One open heart at a time.